This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 79. And the quote of the day is, when you give it everything you've got, the people and opportunities you need will be drawn to you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I've been doing these interviews now, and I've been doing this podcast for about a year. And I'm sure that you guys realize that uh, it's very time-consuming, and it is uh, it, it costs me money to produce all of these. And in order to keep the lights on, so to speak, and to keep this thing moving forward, uh, I've been looking around for some people who were willing to to help sponsor the show. And I worked out a deal with Boso Drumsticks and they've been gracious enough to um, to sponsor the show. I obviously have a close relationship with them, but spoke with them and we worked it out. So now they are the, for now, the official sponsor of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I'm super, super excited about it. They make the world's only bamboo drumsticks, which I play, which I'm part of. And uh, I, str- I, I love the product and I can't say anything else about them except that I love them and I'm so grateful that they're the official sponsor of the podcast for now. And the great thing is if you head over to bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code podcast, you will save 20% on your order. So check them out. Let me know what you think. And if you have any questions, let me know. Also, I want to give my man Jeremy a shout out. Uh, he came to my show this Friday. He's a buddy of mine. We've been We've known each other for a long time and, and played some gigs together over the years and uh, said that he he always listens to the podcast while he's driving around. So, Jeremy, my man, it was great seeing you this weekend, and thank you for always listening to the podcast, man. I appreciate it. So uh, I hope you're, hope you're enjoying your day, brother. Today I have Robbie Amin, and I've actually never met Robbie, and, um, but I've, you know, I've obviously heard about his work. And one of the listeners, Michael, said, hey, Nick, do you think that you could get Robbie Amin on the show? So I emailed him and he was gracious enough to do it. So, Michael, thank you for putting that bug in my ear, man. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you you sent me that email because now we got him on the show and this is an excellent interview. And the conversation that we have is awesome. He's super down to earth, super hip and just just he's he's pretty funny, too. So uh, we're going to get right into this interview because I know this was a long intro. So without further ado, Mr. Robbie Amin. Robbie, what's happening? man thanks so much for doing this i appreciate it cool man it's a pleasure it is it's great to have you on the show i've had um i've been i've actually been wanting to get you on the show for a while and just haven't haven't reached out and then some other people were asking if i could get you on the show so uh so definitely glad to have you here man this is great and we're pretty much neighbors which is cool too so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I always like to get the backstory on the guests and, and how they got into drumming and, and how they got the, the drumming bug. So what's your story? How did you get into playing? Um, actually, the way it was kind of funny, I, was, I went to this kind of progressive elementary school. Well, at least it had some progressive teachers. And one of the, one, my teacher asked us, we were studying Native Americans. And this is like the you know, late 60s. So... Um, uh, I decided to make a drum, you know, so I, I got like, you know, a coffee can and a bucket and stretched this like inner tubes with tires over it with the shoelace and got some chopsticks. And that was my first drum. Nice. 
And and actually, um, like about a year later, this guy laid he laid a couple of records on me. One of which was John Coltrane's "Africa Brass." Mm-hmm. So I mean, it was like very progressive. And I I listened to the record, and I was just like I couldn't understand any of it, but I loved it. So that was kind of like the same guy, kind of in a way, because I was just like bitten with the whole playing drums. So, right, right, right. So how did so how old were you at the time? Maybe like. Nine or ten, something like that. I got you. And when did you actually start playing? Um, I mean, I was actually—I made a whole set of these, like little, you know, these sort of inner tube things, and I—I I played them like for about a, you know, year, year and a half. I mean, pretty seriously, like you know, playing a lot, you know. But right. I didn't really know, like, what it was just like the chopsticks and stuff. And I got a pipe in to be like the snare drum. Mm-hmm. I probably, probably a lot of people have done that All right. <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and then I finally got a. a I actually had to be in a wedding of these cousins, and we went to their house, and um, they had an old drum set in the attic that the, 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 one of their sons stopped using, so they just gave it to me. So oh, then nice. I actually had a real, I had nice. A real drum set. Nice. So now, did you study formally? Did you study with people, or were you self-taught? Um, I studied, you know, quite a bit with, like, different people. There was a, there was a low, I, I'm from New Haven. Mm-hmm. So there was this local guy that was actually head of the musicians union and he would give me a lesson, but half the time he'd be like cursing people out on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was like, he was actually kind of a real prick. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> he would like, you know, he had this kit, you know, and, and I was just dying to like play it, mm-hmm. you know. But I had to play a Billy Gladstone pad, you know, one of those rubber pads, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that you put on the snare drum. And just do hand stuff for like, I don't know, like six months. And then finally, you know, I, was, I thought, well, okay, now we're going to get to the kit. And instead, he, he gave me this thing. It was like a piece of metal, almost like a pie pan with a pedal attached to it. And that was going to, then it was just to add the right foot. And I could never like, and he had this killer kit. It was like a Buddy Rich kit with like two floor tiles and all this. Right. Anyway, I never even got around to playing it. <laughs> You're like, just, <laughs> I just want to play the kit, man. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I had this kind of small kit at home, but I just wanted to play that one. And it's like, you know. Right. But anyway, that was one. And then, you know, then I actually studied with this piano player who was very hip. Um, he had been a drummer, but the lessons were sort of just playing jazz tunes. Mm-hmm. And that was very cool because he would play piano, and then I was—that's was all I was doing was playing the kit. And you know, and then I—the I, you know, one thing was really high. Like I got to study with Ed Blackwell for a while. Oh, nice, nice. Because um, you know, when he 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 developed like liver problems, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, kidney problems, kidney mm-hmm. problems, and he was he had to go on the dialysis. And then he he um became a professor at Wesleyan up in Middletown, Connecticut. Okay. Um, it was like way back before it was most colleges weren't hiring jazz. I mean, there was no jazz department practically nowhere, sure. you know, except for like North Texas, a few places. So I was in high school, and I'd just take the bus up there and go to his house and take lessons, and that was a total gas. Hmm. And, what, and how, old were you, how old were you then? Probably like 15, maybe 15, 16. I got you. So you were really uh, going, down, going down the jazz road early then? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, it's kind of... I, I don't, there were always lots of good percussionists in New Haven, mm-hmm. and I would hang out with percussionists, so I kind of got also exposed to Latin music and, you know, Stausen and, and even some rumba. So I was kind of like, you know, I had a conga drum, and I was kind of, but, so I was into that too, but my, my really, my, my, yeah, my first love was, 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 yeah, like straight ahead jazz. Right. 
So how do you think that shaped your your playing moving forward? Because I think a lot of people now, you know, go straight to rock or they go straight to pop, and there's not there's not this strong emphasis on jazz anymore. Well, you know, it's it, it's really I think it's funny because you know for me. I also went to Berkeley when I was, I don't know, I was like 16. I went for one of those summers. I had like a summer right. thing. Yep, yep. And I did it, um, I guess I did it two summers. And the first summer, I think I was 16, to, and I was actually playing with like some of the bad cats because mm-hmm. I was playing straight ahead. And I mean, at the, at the jam, they'd have jams every night. You know, right. It was like the sessions. And because everybody was into like, you know, fusion was just happening then. Right. You know? right so, right. and I, 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 my kit was sort of an acoustic. So like, I mean, I, it wasn't that I was that, you know, good, but I could play and there just weren't a lot of guys that were doing it. You know, I'm not even saying like rock. It was just everybody was doing fusion. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember like the last, the, 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 the second year I went, like the last couple of weeks, I just changed the tuning of my drums and I started trying to play fusion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And I really dug it, you know. Right. I mean, because look, we all, you know, we all are growing up. If you're growing up in the United States at that time, I mean, you, you know, you hear, you're hearing Motown, you're sure. hearing rock, you're hearing stuff, you know, so it's not like it never enters your ears. Right, right. But, um, but what I was going to say is I'm like continually, I'm like really surprised because I'm like, like this year I'm teaching, I'm teaching uh, in the jazz department at, uh, at Rutgers. And I'm shocked that a lot of the like the, the 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 new guys that come the freshmen or whatever, most of them are into only straight ahead, which kind of blows. I mean, granted, it's a jazz program, so it's sure. not like, but but still, it like really surprises me how many guys are even stronger players like in straight ahead than you know. Then I'll ask them to just play. Okay, play me a funk groove, and it's like kind of like Name. not that happening right. sometimes. <laughs> right. So it just kind of, it kind of surprised me because that's what like you know conventional wisdom would be nobody's really studying jazz. Right. But I, I kind of feel like it's sort of the opposite because like when I was like, you know, like I'm saying, like I guess that would be like the early, mid, mid 70s, early 70s, you know, it was, I don't know, it seemed like less people were playing straight ahead and now it seems like there's like, you know, people that want to do that. You know, it's it's funny now, Look, speaking to all these people that are studying jazz that are coming up, it seems like if guys study jazz, that's all they're like that's all i do i play jazz and i don't play anything else like kind of like you said you know their their funk stuff's not really that happening um but you get take a guy like you you know you can play all the styles you know and do you see that people are concentrating on one style more than than uh well you know i tell people because i'm just totally not into people studying one thing like yeah, me I, neither I, me neither you know i just i just think it's a I think it's it's stupid, frankly. I'm not saying you're going to have to log a lot of time to, in any style that you really want to, you know, get into, whatever it is. I mean, if you're playing country, anything. I mean, everything's got their its swing. But I just, I really, because I also sort of came up, I guess it was a generation, like when I first went to New York, where you sort of, and a part of it was the record companies, because is this going to be a straight-ahead jazz record, or is this going to be, like, if there was, like, a, a backbeat, oh, no, it's got to be one or the other. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was no... Um, and, the, you know, even some of the greatest players of our time, you know, like you know, so like Michael Brecker, you know, that, they would do, like, a Brecker Brothers record, and then maybe Michael Brecker would do a record with, you know, Jack DeJohnette and, like, a straight-ahead record. And it was sort of later, 
in his career that you you know his records would just be anything because he could play absolutely anything. He clearly loved playing everything, so it, it's kind of like I just I never really liked that whole vibe. Of Me like, neither. Yeah, you know, I, and I, I just found it, and it, and especially, especially as a drummer, because the truth is, if you're a horn player, it it probably is a lot more interesting to play over, you know, harmonically. Jazz is more interesting, you mm-hmm. know, than than most, you know, pop music. There's no doubt. That's not to say you can't really find something great to play over a simple harmony, like Michael Brecker could do, you know. Right. But but it's like, you know, as a as a rhythm section player, man. I mean, it's to me, it's all just music and groove i mean you have just as much and then then you get into the latin thing which is of course you know also like just is is i mean i i just didn't i didn't like to be limited to say like this is this is the hip stuff you got to play like you know this or otherwise it's like commercial or it's this i mean that to me that's all like just a total like you know mind game i i agree man i was uh i was actually i was interviewing uh indugu chancellor and he was he was speaking to that a little bit, and he was also saying that, like, you know, all these guys go out and they say, well, I'm, I'm studying jazz or I'm studying rock or whatever it is. And he said, actually, man, when you're studying jazz, like, you're studying blues. You know, when you're studying blues, you're studying rock. It's just, it's everything is, everything is together. It's all music, and it should be all together. And people like to, you know, compartmentalize it and, and totally, you know, oh, no, this is jazz, this is rock, this is funk, this is fusion, you know. Exactly. I mean, you know, and I mean, Miles Davis knew it, you know, he knew it way better, you know, I mean, it was like, and, 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 you know, you know, most of the great, greatest drummers of our time, I mean, especially when it came to drums, I mean, look at Tony Williams, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, who, who, you know, wrote the book on like contemporary straight ahead jazz drumming. And then, you know, look what he ended up going into. And, and, and it's, and not, you know, not just him. I mean, there's so many, and you kind of like wonder, you know, like, I mean, the, I don't know. It's just like the music that's out there now, like the commercial music that's out there is, I think, like really horrible. I mean, it's just horrible. <laughs> yeah. Rhythmically, harmonically, singing, melodically. I mean, you can't, it's just absolutely, you know, god-awful. I mean, I, I say that like I think a lot of people agree with me. But, yeah. but then, you know, and what, no matter what you're talking about, if, whether it's, whether it's, Latin pop, or whether it's Euro pop, or whether it's dance, or whether it's hip hop. But meanwhile, you know, in terms of just players, you know, nobody's just into one thing. Like the great, you know, the, the, the players, I mean, you go into YouTube, you see players that, I mean, any part of the world that are playing like anything, speed metal, or playing that, you know, and it's all just music. Like you can tell, I mean, you know, in terms of what they're playing, it's not like the, right. the but that's not necessarily what, what, you know, the music that's being consumed but you know what music being consumed now anyways i don't know right, right. <laughs> yeah i agree and you know you're you're not only mentioning and all all this stuff but i mean you talk the talk but you all you walk the walk as well i mean you've played with dizzy gillespie you've played with paul simon who are on two totally ends of the spectrum then you have say a salar that you play with and so how did you how did you really develop all these styles well because i know a lot of the listeners think man i you know how how do you develop you know my how how do I develop my Afro Cuban stuff so good that I can play in an Afro Cuban band and then my jazz chops and then my rock chops and all this stuff? I mean, I really think it's you know it goes back to what I said like you know just what you we're all we're all sort of products of what we grow up listening to you mm-hmm. know what I mean mm-hmm. and you know like I'm not Latino but I I happen to be you know I grew up you know in a, a, around 
percussionist, so I was always hearing some of the music, you know what I mean? So it's like it wasn't like, I don't know, like it's just like something that just wasn't ever available where I grew up, you know? Right. And, but, you know, so like, I'm, you know, we're all products to certain, like I say, so like maybe when I was like, you know, in, in junior high school, I was like, I was just listening to jazz and everybody in school was, you know, listening to, I don't know, you know, Led Zeppelin or Yes and Pink Floyd. And, and I didn't listen to any of those records then. I didn't really, but somehow they're going to enter your consciousness anyway. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. And, and then like, you know, the same thing, like, um, you know, you think of somebody like, I mean, I always say like somebody like Joe Zawinul, mm-hmm. you know, who grew up in a, in a I, basically, I guess, a, a pretty small you know, town in, in Austria. And whatever it was that he was growing up listening to, which I don't really know because I didn't really know him and I would have loved to find out. But uh, I, mean, I guess I could ask like Peter Erskine, he would know. Yeah. But, you know, then he comes over, he starts playing with Cannonball Adderley. And, 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 you know, he's like one of the bluesiest piano players of, in history. Right. So, so what I'm saying is that it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if, if, if you grow up in, in Sao Paulo, you, you can't be the, the, the killingest, you know, death metal drummer. Right. You well, know, look, that, at, that, you know. look at like somebody like Pete Lockett, you know? Right. He, he's like, you know, he does all of the, you know, all the African rhythms and all that other stuff. I mean, he grew up in London. You know? Exactly. Which, yeah. well, of course, but then again, even that makes sense to a certain extent because there is like, you know, he's got a huge Indian community and you do have an African, you know, but, I, right, but right. I, I'm just saying like, but now, now because of YouTube, you know, you can hear and see if you didn't, you know, it was a time you'd have to like wait for somebody to come to your town or, or if you'd go to a small city to hear them or, or of course, you know, when DVDs were, you know, and saw videos, instructional video, you know, wait for that to come out or something right. like that. Now it's just all at your fingertips. I can't so, even imagine what I would have done if there was YouTube when I was a kid coming up. I would have, I mean, I, I would have never great, left my house. But, <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, but it's great. But on another level, I still, and maybe it's like, old school but i think it's a little too easy now because yeah. going back to what you said like how do you prepare yourself to really play all these you know styles or whatever well part of it is i don't know i mean even like you know i used to transcribe stuff you know not not religiously i didn't do tons of that but right and you know if you transcribe stuff i mean i would try to transcribe elvin which would take forever sure and and or then I would transcribe like you know Steve Jordan. You know, I remember it was like Steve Jordan on track on this uh, John Schofield record, Who's Who, mm-hmm. killing Kenny Kirkland. Just and I just loved it so much. I, you know, trying to get all the ghost notes. All, and you know now they got programs. You can slow it down. You can see it. You can all that. But it was you know we had like turntables and we'd like scratch the record, drop in the knee. And but somehow the fact that it was harder, you know, I think just prepared you a little better. And and it's the same way. That people have access to so much music now mm-hmm. that I don't think they listen enough. You know, it, that you say that, I have to agree because, one, it's so accessible. And, you know, if you really have to slow things down and figure it out, then you're really starting to digest it and you're starting to learn it. But if you're watching it on YouTube, you say, oh, okay, I got the, let me hear, let me hear how this sounds. Let me duplicate what this person's playing. And then it's like, oh, okay, I can play that. So now I know how to play jazz or whatever it is. Exactly. Like lick oriented. And, and the other thing is you don't listen as intensely because, you know, when there were records, you know, how often would somebody's, re- you know, oh, look, there's, there's a new record that Steve Gadd's on. So you would go buy it and you would just like, 
wear it out. Right. Whereas right. now it's like, you know, to get somebody to listen to a whole tune, it's, <laughs> it's like impressive. <laughs> so I, I think there's a downside to it totally, you know, that, that it, it's just like, you know, that, I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I'm not saying it's, but, it, but it's definitely, you know, it's, it's got its good and bad. Yeah. You know? I mean, the- remember when I first got like the, the, the iPod classic and I'd be like on, you know, some transatlantic flight. And back when, you know, before when I would go around with my, you know, like my gift man or whatever, and I'd, you know, I'd take a few CDs, but I'd like have those CDs just like totally, you know, I don't know, memorized, but I totally knew these CDs. But then I remember like the first few times with the iPod, you know, I'd be like four hours into the flight and I still couldn't even figure out what I wanted to listen to. Man, I'm the same way. <laughs> I got an iPod with 110 gigs and every day I'm like, man, there ain't shit on this iPod and I don't know what to listen to. <laughs> And I just exactly. flipped through it. Like, and meanwhile, like, halfway through the flight, you know, before the iPod, I would have, like, already had this record, like, practice. You know, it's, it's really true. Right. That's when, like, I remember uh, my, my good friend Horacio Negro Hernandez, he's the one who said, yo, don't even think about it. Just put it on shuffle. Because you know everything on it is you, you picked it, so you know it's all great. So don't right. even worry about it. Just put it on shuffle and whatever happens. <laughs> yeah, it's actually true. <laughs> Because I'm telling you, man, I do the same thing. And I'm just like, man, I feel like listening to Miles Davis. And I'm like 30 seconds into it. And I'm like, man, I feel like listening to this. And I change it. Right, right. Know? Or which Miles? Women, I got this. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, anyway. my my folks have a house in Italy. And they have this, this uh, uh, Johnny Lang CD that's been in there for like 100 years, right? And that's like the only CD that's in this radio over there in Italy. And I know every single <laughs> note of every single tune on that record because there's nothing else over there. So yeah. it's like it's just been on so many times and I'm not even really actively listening to it, but I've heard it so many times. Right, you know, right, right, right. That I'm like, so it's it's and that's if you're not even actively listening. So imagine if you just take something and actually actively listen for for a while, man, it's definitely going to be ingrained into what you're playing, you know. Exactly. Definitely. So how did you how did you go from uh, you know growing up in New Haven and and playing up there and studying to playing with Dizzy Gillespie and playing with Paul Simon and you know and and forging a career and I know that's a loaded question but can you kind of walk us down that path a little bit? So I people... mean, yeah, it was it was pretty much. I mean, everybody's got you know a story. I mean, every single person on the planet that that you know decided to become a musician and were you know sort of like blessed enough to to get a career going. Um, for me, when I moved to New York, um, I really didn't know anybody, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I knew, um, I mean, it's like, you know, a couple of people, I was really good friends with Sammy Figueroa, the percussionist. I, I knew him from when I was like in, you know, junior high school, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's like, you know, he was the first call studio percussionist. So I'm like, Hey, I'm in New York. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> he's like, that's so, cool, man. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I actually played on the street. I, there was a, it was, it was, it was a bebop band. It was a, it was a quartet, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we had the singer and we would play for four or five hours, six, seven hours. We'd be out all day long playing different spots in the street. Cause there was a heavy street scene then, you know, mm-hmm. um, we'd play Penn station at, at lunchtime and then we'd move our stuff up to, um, Columbus Circle for rush hour. Then we'd hit the broad, the theater down. So we were just wheeling our stuff, playing tunes all day long. Right. And I was making probably sixty, sixty-five dollars 
a day. You know, it was like 1982. It's not bad bread. It's not bad. I mean, I mean, look at the gigs now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so you know, that's basically how I, I, that was my, you know, I mean, just like that's what I would always tell people, like, You'd be, I'd be traveling, oh, how do you, if you go to New York, what should I do, man? Should I, do I have to know somebody? Do I have to have a gig? And I could re- really say, yeah, you got to have, like, a gig. you got to, because then they say, well, how did you do it? And I said, well, I play in the street, so it didn't make, you know, I, I, I just had to, like, say, if you really want to move to New York, move to New York. <laughs> you right. know, if you really want to do it. Like, oh, but I don't I need to know a lot of connections and all that. And then uh, I got... Somebody heard me on the street, and this guy, and the band was really good. I mean, the sax player used to play with Mingus, and you know, they were they were cats. Right. But um, this guy, you know, he was really instrumental in helping me because he he was a sax player. Mauricio Smith was his name, he was Panamanian. He was in the original Saturday Night Live band, um, and he sent me to Mexico. Right. So I, I was down there for like three or four months. Nice. And when I came back, he started calling me for sessions. You know. And I was doing, like, you know, a lot of, like, you know, a fair amount of jingles because he was in the session scene. And mostly they were the Latin version of, you know, I don't know, Coca-Cola, Budweiser, all this stuff. Because mm-hmm. That's another thing. I mean, I'd go off on a tangent. Back then. I like tangents, man. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I mean, back then, just how the, 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 the music scene was just so different, there would be, you know, a text, I'm talking about the Latin version of a Budweiser commercial, of whatever campaigns they were doing. So there would be a, a Texan Latino version, there'd be a Miami Latino version, there'd be an L.A. Latino version, and there'd be a New York Latino version. Like, that's how market, markets, we would do, you know, three, four, five different versions of the same jingle. That's how, like, specific that would, you know, now is like one Latin, you know, like it's one size fits all, like reggaeton, whether it's in, you know, you'd be, whether it's Madrid to Argentina to Mexico to it's all the same, you know what I mean? Right. But, but that's kind of like really hip. Like mm-hmm. people would have to write, you know, because there was, and, you know, there would be a different style. I guess, you know, like Texas would be kind of Tex-Mex, you know, and Miami would be one thing and New York would be more South. I mean, you know, so, but anyway, so this guy was calm and then I did that for a while. But then I, I realized I, I, I kind of put the horse before the cart in the sense that, you know, I was, I was playing with some phenomenal guys. I mean, cats that I, like, you know, idolized. But then I was realizing, man, I'm, nobody knows me, you know, because I'm, I'm doing these sessions. That's not like I was doing tons, but I was doing sessions. Right. And I realized I wasn't out there playing anywhere. So I, I, put a, I tried to put a band together. And I, 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 the guy that I asked was, I, I, would, I actually went to hear Dave Valentine. He was, he was playing a lot of, I used to go to Mikel's. I used to go to 7th Avenue South, and I just remember one time I went up to Lincoln Goins, who was playing bass with Dave, and I just said, you want to play sometime? And he said, sure. So then we just started hitting, like, for hours a day, you know, in my apartment. Um, And we sort of created all this, like, this stuff, kind of Latin, funk, jazz. And then we put a whole band together. The band was killing. Um... I don't know, Robin Eubanks played trombone. It was just a really good band. And a couple of percussionists. And Dave Valentine came to hear the band. We were playing in clubs. And then he called me to do uh, a record. You know, he was on GRP. And then from that, then, you know, Larry Rose and Dave Grusin were really, like, great to me. And then they called me for Dizzy. And then, you know, Ruben Blaze wanted to add drums. 
because there was usually there were no drums in like a salsa band. He had say a solar. So it was the second album. They wanted drums on some of the stuff. So they called me. You know, so it's kind of like then one thing led to another. But sure, it, it kind sure. of started from just, yeah, just like playing in the street and somebody hearing you and all that. So when you were doing all those commercials and everything, is that where you really honed your, your Latin chops or were you already hip to all that stuff before? I was pretty hip to it before. I mean, I, because the thing is, <laughs> the whole thing about a jingle is you can't be honing your stuff. Right. Because the whole thing is like, that's, the whole, that's what I tell people, like, you know, do I really need to know how to read? Of course you need to know how to read, but back then you really knew it needed to know how to read because some people have ears that they can hear even a really complicated arrangement once, and they've kind of like a photographic memory. But back then, the whole thing with the jingle, a 30-second, a 60-second spot, they didn't have time for you to hear it once. Right. You know, here's the chart, play it, so... Yeah, so I can't say I I, I was because if you're you wouldn't be, if you were if you were honing your stuff d- during a jingle, <laughs> they never call you back. It's a the, valid point. The, valid point. Know. But but I think if I like honing, I think a lot of the stuff that um, when the the sort of the hours Lincoln and I spent just playing bass and drums, I think that was a lot of honing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Because we were sort of trying to like just find stuff between the two of us where I was sort of covering some percussion and he'd be also playing percussively on the bass and like when I first I think the first record I did with Dave Valentine didn't have percussion and Dave always had percussion it was a quartet because he sort of had this sound that included all this like percussive stuff so but that was like yeah more honing back then I got you I got you so you've had a lot of success and all in in a lot of different fields which is great I mean you've won a Grammy you're playing you know you've played with with legendary people, you've played some legendary gigs, but I'm sure you've had some failures along the way. And I always like to hear some failures and how how you overcame those failures because it's important for the listeners to hear that kind of stuff as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, you know, I, I could go through, I mean, you know, um, I mean, the list is really long. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, even very logistic things like, like, Learning how to play with a play with a click, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, even that, even though I was doing jingles and all that, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't like a, didn't come easy to me, like band, right. but that's just not what I would had been used to doing, you know, especially sort of coming from straight ahead, playing and all that, and then suddenly this click. I mean, I used to like really be be freaked out about the click. It used to make me really nervous, you know, and um, until I remember, it was actually it was a with bass player Francisco Centeno told me you know, you got to think about the click that it's your friend, you know? Right. And, it, and it's really true, but I hadn't thought about it that way. Right. He's like the I, guy I, that's like helping you down the street when you're limping or something. You know, it's like, come on. Yeah, it's like, because if you're playing, say, let's say you're playing with a percussionist, you know, and he's, you know, and he's playing quarter notes or quarter note bass rhythm or any kind of steady rhythm, you know, like on the cowbell or, you know, you never think about that as a, you think about that as, well, that's just helping everything. Right. And whereas, because I had this thing in my head, the click is perfect, i got to bury it, it's got to disappear, and I'd be like so thinking about that that it would just not be like I wasn't relaxed. Right, and then it sounds I, all and until, square. And... Yeah, I mean, that one statement and really take it, realizing, saying like, wow, yeah, it is, it is kind of your friend, you know? Right. And then, you know, I mean, other things over the years, I mean, just, you know, I mean, so many different things. Was there anything, you know, is there anything that sticks out in your mind, like a, a blow that you had that you were kind of like, man, maybe, 
you know, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, or maybe uh, maybe I need to reevaluate things or, or something like that. I mean, I, 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 I'll be completely honest. I never think I'm, I'm that good. I mean, I'm honest to God. I mean, I'm not being like, you know, you know what do you call it, like uh, uh, coy. You know, right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always, because I'm always blown away by people that I hear. You know, I'm constantly, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's somebody going out to hear somebody live, and I'm just like, wow. And then I'm right back down in my studio trying to, trying to shed, you know. Right. Um, and there have been lots of things like that, you know, left, left foot clave. I never did left foot clave for, for like, you know, 20 years. Man, I was you just know? watching the left foot clave stuff that you were doing at PASIC last year. Had some, you had some sick stuff going on with that. Oh, thank you. I mean, <laughs> I was there too, and I didn't, I, I didn't make it to the, uh, make it to your performance, which I'm pissed oh, about. Oh shit! That yeah. was fun. That was actually. Uh, I mean, yeah, and then you know, because I think I've known New Negro for years, and and I met him in Cuba when I first played there many, many years ago, and you know, and then he was, I met him again in Italy, and he was doing it, and it was something that just never crossed my mind to do, and then you know, so then that's something I was like, wow, you know, here I am, like, you know. Mr. Latin Jazz, and you know, right. it never even crossed my mind to do it. So that's like that was sort of an eye opener, you know. Mm-hmm. Not not to say that you necessarily have to do it, or but it was it was just like a no brainer that you know I should definitely get into this. Sure, you know? sure. You know, though, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to remember. I mean, you know, it was like a moment like where somebody just turned around and said, you know, stop. I mean, I'm. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think if there was one of those like moments, like total like embarrassment. Right, like, know. hey man, this is not, this ain't happening. You know, Why don't you take a walk? <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember it was kind of, it wasn't like one of those kind of moments, but it was when I when I first met Dizzy Gillespie, that I, I was I was asked to go down to the studio and, and play together, just the two of us, mm-hmm. for this record because they were actually had already started recording and they. Dizzy didn't dig the drummer, so I was called to re- replace this cat. That's got to be a little um, nerve-wracking. Totally, but there was right. not even time to get nerve, you know. And so he played some piano, trumpet, and it, on the one hand, he was like, really, oh, you know that tune, oh, you know that tune, too, oh, you know, you know. But then at another point, we started tracking in the band. I mean, for me, I was way, like, I felt like I was so, you know, honored to be there because it was Kenny Kirkland, it was Branford Marcellus, I mean, you know. And, I mean, I had literally, like, recorded, like, maybe two rec- three records to my, you know, in my career. And, um, and then I just remember, I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta, like, really play some shit, you know. And I think I started, like, doing, I don't know, trying to play, like, some Elvin East End. I remember Dizzy did to me, he said, he said, no, that, that's too much, not that. <laughs> you're like, yeah. wait a minute, let me show you this other thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're like 22 years old. You're like, you know, it's like, you know, you want to show, you know. But yeah, but yeah, there's always there's always stuff, you know, happening. Like you're always like, you know, learning. So, um, what's your advice for overcoming it, overcoming the the failure? Well, I mean, if, if Dizzy Gillespie turns around and says, "Nah, that's too much," then <laughs> right. you're not going to try to fight that. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, you say, no, 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 really, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is it, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I just think it's like, um, you know, I mean, it, 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 these are like cliches, you know, people say, like, the older you get and the, the, the less you feel you have to play and all that. And right. I don't really think, know that that's necessarily true, you know, because there's a cliche that the, young, the younger guys play more because they got to, like, prove stuff and then, I don't really know. I mean, I just think, for me, if I listen to stuff that I did 20 years ago, 
I, well, first of all, I usually don't like to because I just think I'm in a completely different you know, place now, playing-wise. Right. Right. And I'm always thinking, no, I would just have done it so much different. But it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, we, we, when we did, the instru- we did a couple of instrumental records, say a lot, um, I don't know, like in the, maybe it was the early 90s, mid-90s, I don't even yeah, something like that. And the band got back together, and we did some, some gigs, some festivals, um, this was that without Ruben, and you know I hadn't really listened to those things so long. I was saying, man, I don't even. I was wasn't doing Left Foot Clavi. I was just a whole other vibe. I mean, I'm just now. I just feel like I'm, you know, I think I'm. I feel like I'm better, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, and then I listened to the records, and then I was trying to learn what I played again, and I was like, and it wasn't even a technical thing. It was just like, yeah, you know, this kind of is kind of cool. And then, and then I sort of think, so, in some ways, I kind of think that it's it's a it's a um, it's a falsehood to think, always think you're getting better in the sense that better, like, you know, maybe different. Right. But to sort of think like, oh, if I had a chance to do that again, I would have done it this way mm-hmm. without really saying, well, you know, maybe the way you did it was, was you know, better than you would do it now or sure. at least different. Maybe it worked better for, you know. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was just listening to a live recording of a band that I played in years ago and was kind of like hesitant to put the CD in. And then I listened to it. And I was like, man, this is... It's pretty hip, you know, like I, I dug the stuff that I was playing and some of the stuff, you know, to, to echo what you're saying, I was thinking, man, I don't know if, I don't know if I would have played that now. I don't know if I would have thought of that now, you know, exactly. I would have never expressed it that way. Yeah. Because you're not, you know, your knowledge, your shit, you're practicing and it's kind of like, on the one hand, it's cumulative, you know, like, I mean, I think, I think I have more chops now than I did 20 years ago because I've been playing longer and I practice, you know, but, and, and I just think nowadays there is kind of a, we really live in a chops culture, Yeah. you know, and it's, and it's just because, and the same with classical music. I mean, now the speed that people play, you know, the repertoire of say, of just the the basic piano repertoire, whether it's Rachmaninoff or Chopin, it's just the speed, but it's not, it's not, doesn't mean it's better by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but just in terms of drumming, and, you know, gospel chops and all. And I'm down trying to shed stuff all the time, you know, because it's just like, wow, man, right. listen to that. And some of know? these cats are athletes, man. Oh, and there's so, and there's, and, they're, and, every, and they're guys that you don't even know. I mean, I'm right. not talking about just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I really love Aaron Spears. I love the way he plays. You right, know? right. And there's so, but, I mean, and, and, it, and it's just sort of part of the, the bar has been raised. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like that's like once – it's the same thing like with Giovanni on Congas, that he took it up – to a level, and Richie Flores took it up to a level. And I, I'm not, I mean, musically, of course, but technically, like, I didn't know you could do that. But then when a few people break that barrier, suddenly, you know, more people can do it because they see that it's possible. Right. It's like the four-minute mile when, you know, nobody, exactly. nobody could run the four-minute mile, and then the one guy broke it, and I think, like, 25 other people broke it in the same year. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's a certain part of the world that that'll happen, you know, mm-hmm. like, and a lot of people, mm-hmm. like, you know, but, but, but just going back, you know, I'm thinking like, well, okay, you know, the, the chops, I mean, it's getting more and more crazy and it's unbelievable and all that. But then you look the other way, like, cause, again, because of YouTube, you see stuff. I mean, I was just watching, there's a famous uh, Papa Joe Jones solo. It's, it's, it's this French guy made this, it's in color. Mm-hmm. And he plays Caravan, but he starts off just with a solo and snare drum. And then yeah, is that, is that the one where, like, the band, when you're watching the video, the band comes in real loud at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, you check that, and there's some Sonny Greer stuff, and you're watching this, 
and you're thinking, man, I mean, it's like just on on the on the on the chops and the and the and the and just the swing, and the the relax and the whole. It's just like. You know, a lot, and then, you know, like Sonny Greer is like stuff like, you know, no, not Sonny Greer, but also Sonny Payne. There's a Sonny Payne video. I love video, Sonny Payne, man. Where it's like, and you see all this cross stick and all, you're like, man, <laughs> He's you know, like throwing like, the stick on it, like around his neck and everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're saying, like, a lot of this stuff people take for granted. Like, they say, oh, man, that, you know, look at this. With, and you, you think, man, back then, those guys were playing, and they were famous, and they were... For a reason, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, there were some of the baddest guys that ever played. Yep. You know, period. Yeah. You know, I put you put them fast forward seventy years, and you know, it still is is is, is unbelievable. Right. Know? Right. And I, man, I love Sonny Payne too. Oh, I, man. I just love. I mean, you know, and and there's so much. You know, it's like I'm saying. There's so, and then there's then you know somebody will send you something. You know, I mean, I don't know, like a a Serbian drummer in a subway in 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 Belgrade playing like some. You know, it's just so. Yeah, I just think that now the information gets out quicker. Right. And I mean, because there's always, because you know, you know, thirty years traveling, going all over the world, and wherever you would be, if there'd be like a, after the gig, oh, you got to go check out this guy, whoever the local, and you would always be blown away. Mm-hmm. But you know, back then you'd have to be there to see it. Now it's like you know. It's like people put it up on YouTube. Right, and it's there instantaneously. I, re- I remember exactly. I put out a podcast a few months ago, and it was a short podcast. It was about 20 minutes long, and like 45 minutes after I put it up, some guy from Sweden sent me an email and was like, man, I just love, I just listened to the podcast, and I love it. And it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, so you were just talking about, you know, being, you've played all over the world, and, and you've done all of these amazing things. If you had to do one thing differently would you would you change anything um you mean like career, like i don't even know what you mean like playing wise career yeah, career wise or, or music wise looking back if you're like man you know what i probably would have done this a little differently coming up hmm. i don't know i mean i i mean i could say the obvious that i mean i practiced a lot but i, I still wish i'd <laughs> practice more. more right <laughs> yeah i mean you know um there were times that I was probably with in certain situations where, particularly with percussionists, where I wish I'd, I'd paid more attention mm-hmm. and really kind of picked their brains more. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, it could, it could be even like, you know, playing Wawanko Rumba, which is where I really think like 90% of, of um, anything in Afro-Cuban, whether it's salsa or whether it's Afro-Caribbean, just comes from listening to Roomba. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I listened to Roomba, and I, and, and I, but I kind of wish, I don't know, I, that would have been something I wish I'd gone even deeper into back then, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's just like a specific example. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's, I mean and, and there's still time to learn stuff. You know, sure. first I, I, I never, I never learned bata rhythms. Never mm-hmm. sat down and learned, you know, that, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm familiar with some basic things, but that's something I've never, you know, that's kind of a regret. I've been around Bata drummers, you know, for years. Um, who knows, you know. Right, right, right. Never really got deep into Indian at all, mm-hmm. which is like a whole lot. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's always, you know, um, wish I added a, a double pedal earlier in my career. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I shed that now I mean, in the last years, but, you know. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's like stuff like that. But I mean, like a big, 
thing where I wish I'd made it, you know, turn, gone this way instead of that way, like, you know, like some big, like, you know, signpost in the middle of the road. I, I don't really know. I don't know. Right, right, right. I got you. I got you. Now, you, you mentioned practice a lot and you mentioned shedding. So what what's your approach to practice and shedding? Because I know a lot of people always ask, you know, how, how should I practice or, or like to hear other people's approach on how they practice. So walk us through a daily routine that you have or, or, or your practice routine. Um, it's nothing really particularly, uh, you know, organized in any specific way. It's not like, a, you know, like some hand stuff or then, nah, I mean, it's not at all like that. It's more like what I'm just sort of working on at, at a certain time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It could be like, it could be, I don't know, um, uh, yeah, like even like sort of like a, you know, some, 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 some drummer that I hear could be anybody, you know, it could be Aaron Spears. It could be, and then I was like, I want to go try to get into that zone and, and, and check out stuff, maybe even write out stuff and try to like, you know, play that, play that way for like, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, like just a few like sort of conceptual things that I see happening that when I, you know, I mean, that's like one example, right. you know, always trying to do, you know, also like, um, but double bass stuff. I mean, I'll sit down and I'll just try out stuff that is, you know, because I I didn't really log a lot of time doing, you know, singles that kind of thing. I mean, I can't really say. I I can't really say that there's like a particular routine. I I I try to do things sometimes with a metronome. Like um, this is kind of new. Like I I I make the metronome. Um, I don't practice always with metronome because I think it's bad too all the time. Right. But I think it's also bad too if you never do especially nowadays like sure. music the way but um you know like make the metronome a dotted quarter instead of a quarter hmm. so that it. if you're like you know but the tempo is and then try to so in other words play a tune where the metronome is like it's a two over three, so it's just going all over the bar line. It's keeping perfect time, but it's kind of you're not. It's not two and four, and it's not one and three, and it's not quarter notes. Right, right, right. I mean, there's lots of things you can do like that that I think it's just kind of interesting. Makes you think, not so much say always on the beat. Right, gets you out of that. Gets you out of that box. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, but I'm just saying like. There's no particular routine. Like I get, I go, I start doing this, then I do this, then I do that. And, you know, not, right. not really. Right. I always like to hear the, the approach uh, that people have because, you know, some people are extremely regimented and some people are, you know, they're like, I practice whenever I feel like I need stuff, you know, I need to work on things and everybody has a different approach. So that's why I always love to ask. I mean, I, for me, there's always something I can, I can work on. So it's like, it's, 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 it's really not never a problem to go, and start playing and then get inspired right away because right. you know so much of drumming it's also this like sort of it's almost like a, you're a mathematician trying to figure out solve these problems like you know you see those cartoons with the blackboard with like thousands of things on the blackboard right. you know and the you know the teacher said okay come and fix it you know i'm talking about like some calculus or something whereas i think so much of drumming is solving these these problems when it comes to like um you know, well, one thing I do, I like to practice a lot also is like doing like, you know, sub, sub superimposing different rhythms on top of other rhythms. Like, I mean, time feels. Right. You right. know, 
and and which you know goes back to like why it was so hard to write out Elvin Jones, you know, forty years ago. Sure. Because that's what he was doing. So it's you know, but those kinds of things, you know, like you try something and then you say, oh, and then you suddenly, you know, forty minutes went by and you're just working on that one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I was talking to Stanton Moore uh, a couple of weeks ago and. And, you know, we were talking about inspiration and where inspiration comes from and getting stuck in ruts. And he's like, man, all you got to do is turn on an Elvin Jones record if you get <laughs> if you need some inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. But you do. It, and it can be anything, though. It can be because, you know, once once you start trying to do something that you haven't done before or you thought about doing, but you haven't tried, suddenly, you know, you want to keep working on it to, to you know, until it works. Right. You know? Right, right, right. I agree. And then the, the only other thing I'll comment is that I've actually <clears throat> I've started doing things that are much more simple. Like even something as basic as, you know, right hand, right foot, left hand, left foot. I mean, uh, right, right, right hand, right foot, left hand, right foot. Mm-hmm. Or that whole thing, you know, like the Mangini, you know, right hand, right foot, Left hand, left foot, right. which, you know, I mean, I would say I probably never did practice that when I was a kid mm-hmm. because it just seemed too, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work on this, like, you know, cascara with it, you know, right. and all or whatever. And then you realize, oh, man, something that basic and then putting it different ways, making triplets, making, you know, so it's kind of like I'm finding like a lot of the really, really basic stuff, you know, and then building up speed with, you know, right. I mean, I, you know, I, um, Jojo Mayer was talking about that. We were at this drum camp, and he was demonstrating some extremely simple kind of, you know, kick, um, left hand, right hand, but playing him not as triplets, playing him as, as eight, I mean, as 16th notes, right? Right. To be over the bar line. Just that. So you get like three-note groupings, four-note subdivision kind of thing. Exactly, and right. then playing, you know, different sound sources, and then making the accents, creating melodies. So you might play a rhythm, ba, ba, bam, 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 but you're doing, da, 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 da. you know what I'm saying? That I mean, right. we're starting off with an extremely simple concept, three notes, and just so I mean, it's 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 kind of. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of endless. I was going to say, then the possibilities are, are completely endless, and you can go anywhere that you want to, you know? Right, exactly. I, so, you know, those are things, like, you know, as far as practicing, there's always... But a lot of times, that's, I think that's true. It, it's, you know, not necessarily starting out, like, trying to play something, you know, four different rhythms with each limb, really complicated stuff, but actually go back to something that basic, but then try to create some music out of it. Right, right. You know, a, a prime example of that is, is Steve Gadd about how much mileage he gets out of the same stuff. You know something? I mean, I'm, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because he's always been, you know, I don't know, one of my literally top, you know, three or four favorite drummers of all time. Um, same, same, same for me. Some, you know, and, and it's funny because I'm just putting up a lot of stuff of his um, solos that I've seen you know, there's some stuff out that I saw that like he was he was Mike Minieri in black and white. You know, he's playing like all this. He's so, and it's funny. I've actually been shedding a lot of Gad stuff recently. I just oh, that's really? like that, that's another thing. You know, and I used to, you know, constantly. But it's like I actually that's that's something like the last couple of weeks. 
I'm down there and I'm just sort of trying to get get into that zone again and just shed a few, you know. So it's interesting. That's what I'm saying. It's something like that, and then it suddenly sticks with you for a couple of weeks, but that's all you're doing. Right. Right. I love. There's a there's a solo that he plays uh, with stuff uh, from like 1970. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one in Montreux? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what, exactly. We're on the same wavelength. I don't totally. know what that thing is that he does where it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, exactly. then, he gets to, and then he gets to where it, it, it feels like it's it's like it's rolling along. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. No, no, no. And, and the thing about him is all of his, you know, I, I think of it like Max Roach. I mean, his solos are all so logical. Yep. And so they're just logical, they're musical, they're grooving. You know, the, the, if, it's a, if, it's, if it's a backbeat thing, the backbeat's somehow always there, even if he's not hit. It's just, they're just like any soul. They're just, they're, to me, they're just like perfect. They're just like, you know, it's well, just a whole other thing. They're so musical, man. Exactly. But there's exactly. there's another one that he plays. Oh, I forget who it is. It's with a piano player, and he's... and. I mean, it's like in the stadium they're playing, and he does this solo, and then the, then the the guy comes in with the cowbell like halfway through the solo, um, but he starts out this solo. I mean, it's it's the piano player and Steve Gag going back and forth, and the whole band's rocking, and then it just drops down to just Steve, and he's just like boom, and it's just like he just like total the whole bottom drops out of it, and it's just Steve doing that, and then he builds it up into this right like amazing thing and as i'm listening to it i'm like this makes total sense that's the other thing because he really knows nobody knows how he builds it up it's just he doesn't start with all this stuff you know he just and and yeah i mean there's just it's just it's yeah it's just fantastic. i mean and the thing is i was fortunate like when i was even in you know like high school i'd come in to new york i'd go to Mikel's, and i got i mean i used to hear that band all the time, stuff. Right. Just go hang out and check. I mean, it's just like, and then you know, like I said, now it's like what? That's like thirty, forty years later. Right. And I'm still just as into it as I was when I was like fifteen. It's amazing. It's, it's so good. That's yeah. why. Yeah, exactly. Man, we exactly. gotta get some coffee and hang and talk about this, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I don't like, want to so, bore the audience, but <clears throat> I could go on for hours about this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it's like, you know, and then I mean, there's another guy. I mean, it's like when I talk about these, some of the concerts. Like, to me, when I hear somebody like Aaron Spears, who I love, something about when the, what, what he, the way he plays, the way he incorporates the whole kit into his grooves mm-hmm. makes me think, first of all, it's super melodic, you know, and the other thing about it is it reminds me when you hear a really good bucket drummer. Yeah. Because they're playing, I don't know, five or six different surfaces, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's something always happening, and you're always hearing, you know, whatever the tempo is, but you're always hearing usually like upbeats and, and, and the backbeats somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And yet they're creating all this stuff around. And somehow I think when, when, when Aaron plays, he manages to use, and, it, you know, it's not like a, you know, 50 Tom Tom kit. It's a basic, pretty basic kit. But he's got all these sounds, and he manages to put all this. He uses the entire kit, and it's not when he just does a fill. The fills are amazing, but he's incorporating the toms, everything into these grooves that I just think is killing. Yeah. It's like it's so melodic. I really love that that kind of also approach because a lot of people think I don't know if you would even call it gospel or what you would call it because I don't even know what that means. Right. But 
it's not like I don't see it as gospel chops. I just see it as amazing chops. But somehow it's musical because he's somehow incorporating all that in. And but you're still you never losing that just that the the, the two and four. Right. You know? <clears throat> right. Excuse me. I mean, all the, those guys got it together, man. Like all those those top level guys, like you know Aaron and 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 uh, Little John Roberts and Brian Fraser right, Moore right. and and all those guys. Right, right, you know, right. it's like and like you said, I don't know. If, you know, I don't want to disrespect those guys and call it gospel chops because it's w- it's way more than that. You know. No, and it's not even it's not even about just you know playing like some crazy cross sticking. You know, which is amazing too. Right, but it's right. more the thing that, that knocks me out is I just see it as just as as music. Like it just will sound good, you know. And people could actually, you know, people that aren't drummers can really dig it too. Right, right. I agree, man. You know, it's a, I I watch those videos and I want to go crawl in the hole and you know <laughs> never come out. So what's on tap for you now? What's what's going on with uh, with the career now and and where are you headed? Where are you moving? Well, I'm, what I'm doing now, I'm, 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 I'm getting music together. I've almost got enough together. I think I do. I want to go back in the studio and do another solo record. I mean, I did one a few years ago, which I'm really happy about. Um, um, great band. I had, you know, my friend John Beasley on piano. Lincoln played bass. Um, Wayne Krantz played guitar. Uh, uh, great, great band. And I've, what I've been doing like the last year, I mean, aside from like regular gigs, is I'm trying to get this, trying to get like a steady gig happening in the city with like, you know, a, a pretty much steady band. And I've, now I'm on to my third place because it's hard to get a place, you know, on board. Right. It's not just the jazz club because the jazz club, you know, you can't play once a week or once every other week at a jazz club because so many people want to play. I mean, sure. I'm saying like a, a name jazz club. Right, right. So... You know, I've, I've sort of gotten it together pretty much since, like, last February. So I pretty much have, like, you know, the guys that I always work with. And pretty much it's, you know, two or three core bands, because mm-hmm. obviously not everybody can do it every... And so I'm just going to go in the studio and record. Nice. Um, because I just think that's really where it's at. You know, like... So do like, you have a thing happening now regularly in the city or no? Well, I'm, I'm starting at a new go- place back, this okay. Saturday, actually. Um, you know, I, I, this is, like, I've places like sort of nearby that are you know they're like bars basically yeah. that have like a room where you can you know do a steady thing and um the problem is most of these places won't really help you out because they're not jazz clubs but they're having music every night right so it's kind of really on you but it's been worth it because you know the the, the bands are just sounding great because we're playing so much right you know as opposed to like getting a gig you know, rehearsing for it and playing one night and then that's it. See in a couple of months. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like my thing as a, as a leader, cause I don't, I mean, bands I play with as a side man have much bigger names, you know, sure. than I do. But, but so, but even, you know, I mean, every, all these, all these bands are working less than, than they used to. I think it's kind of the reality. Yeah, that's, that's just the you way play, it is now. Right. Yeah. If you play a week at the blue note and basically it's, it's going to be once a year. Right. You can get a week there. I mean, unless you play in another band that also gets a week there, but it's kind of like, so, you know, that's just the, the whole, you know, the realities of the business are it's completely different now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that every generation says that, but I think that nobody will argue with me by saying that now it really is. It's just everybody knows that. Right. And I mean, like I said, like I'm, I do it a day a week at Rutgers, which has really been nice. It's fantastic faculty, Conrad Herwig and, you know, 
uh, even Eddie Palmieri's up there once a month. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> so it's like really, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of my next, my next priority. I'm hoping in January, go and um, record this band and and, and you know, because the other thing I, I've been doing more and more of is just writing music, which takes me a lot longer than people that have been doing it for 20 to 30 years. Because mm-hmm. I really try to, I feel like when I do my records, I really want to write all the music. I just feel like that's sort of you know, important. Yeah, I agree, man. That's cool. But that otherwise, cool. I mean, I've done many, many, many records and it's kind of like, then I'm just sort of, well, I've been playing on somebody else's record, which is great too. Right. But, it, you know, I kind of feel like, yeah. So You want to own it and... Yeah, so it just takes me. It takes me, you know, it takes me longer. But I'm, I'm, you know, more and more. I've gotten more confidence in my writing. I like my last record. I was really, really happy with everything. So it's like, yeah, cool. It's all a process, man. It's all a process, you know. Exactly. All right, two more questions for you. Uh, one, uh, what's your what's your typical setup? What's your gear? Um, pretty much, pretty much the same setup, except. You know, when I do some of these, like these low, you know, it's a smaller kit, obviously. But I, I you know, I, I use a reference. I've been using the reference, Pearl reference, for, you know, ever since they came out. I, I just, I love them. I think that when they, when the, you know, they first came out, it was just one of those out of the box, just sounded amazing. Um, so, you know, I used a uh, 10, 12 rack and a 14 floor, 14 by 14 floor box sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, my symbols I've changed uh, after many, 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 many years um, with saving. I changed to Istanbul Mehmet, um, and that's just been fantastic because that's almost like every time. And well, one, two things have happened since I've been playing the symbols for like 20, 25 years or even more. I always basically use the same symbols on everything I played. Hmm. You know, it was like. And it wasn't the saving wasn't generous. They're as generous as anybody they could. But I just was into this thing where, I don't know, I just like want to play the same symbols. I think it's enough, you know. Right. I mean, I'm not saying we, I never chip, but almost pretty much the same. And now, like these, these Istanbuls, I just look forward to taking out a different symbol on a gig. <laughs> right, right. Because it's like I'm a kid. I swear to God, I'm like a kid <laughs> with these symbols, you know. And I, I actually have been going to Istanbul like once or twice a year for the last three, three, four years, playing a lot over there. There's like a whole scene over there. It's kind of blowing up. Um, and so I'm always over there. I go to the factory. It's just like and the symbols are just so rich. So now I'm like the complete opposite. Like you know, sometimes I use a real, you know, almost like a. They got this thing called the nostalgia, which is kind of like a Blakey or an Elvin symbol. I could have got a rivet in it. And sometimes that'll be my ride. Or then next time it'll be something much more darker and dry. So I'm changing up. Symbol-wise, I'm changing up all the time. But nice. I just love them. And that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, double bass drum, pedal, um, cowbell. I, I'm also using less cowbell stuff on the kit. I basically just use a cha-cha bell. And a, and a kind of a bongo bell, mm-hmm. pretty much the, the two bells, and then the foot bell. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, some pretty pretty much simple, you know, in terms of yeah, I, you know, close high hat sometimes, but not that often. Right. You know, pretty much basic because it's just like you know, there's um, just trying to get good at playing what I got. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And do you uh, do you teach privately in the city? Yeah, I teach privately. 
Yeah. yeah. So what's the what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to study with you or learn more information about you? Um, website, email, um, you know, uh, Robbie Amin at Gmail, website's RobbieAmin.com, you know, Facebook, the usual. Right. I mean, the thing that I'm really, really lucky is that I actually have a, I have a spot. I'm in lower Manhattan. I have a spot in my sub-basement of the building where I can play like 24 hours a day. Nice. So that's totally, been, it's fantastic. It's actually, a, it's, it's a sidewalk vault. And it's a sub basement, so it's basically you're on the the level with the subway itself, so nobody can hear stuff. So that's I rehearse there, you know, within reason. There's not too many people that can fit. But and my next step also is 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 everybody says I'm like beyond stupid because I've got the space and I still haven't gotten like the home studio set up, which is what I really have to do. Right. Like my, yeah. That's the next step. Totally. I mean, I'm already ten years like too late <laughs> i mean i know the anton fig was he was doing this like so many people were doing this like, and telling me for years oh man you could he said but he said once you get started with that then that never ends either because right. you wanted to upgrade the mics and this and the preamps and the blah, blah. you get the you get the might as well so you're like well i did this i might as well do this you know exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's right yeah exactly <laughs> Well, Robbie, man, it was a it was definitely a pleasure chatting with you, and I appreciate you taking all this time to. Uh, no problem, to man. Talk. It's always great to talk to people that, that are, you know, inspired to talk about them. Man, you I talk about drumming. You know, drummers can go on for weeks. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said I was thing. like, I don't think I never have a problem with people doing interviews, man, because everybody, you know, everybody wants oh, to talk man, drums. Exactly. You know, and I just a funny thing. Um, I did a, a, a pretty long interview with um, with Jonathan Mover. He's got the, uh, the, the magazine Drumhead. It's a great magazine. Right. And and you know he we're friends and he came over to the house and I opened up a bottle of wine and I don't know you know, go to the next bottle. But anyway, after he called me a few days later and he had just you know he taped it and then he transcribed it and he said I he said I just want you to read you know if you don't mind just read it. And I said, no, nah, man, everything's cool. I don't have to read it. He said, yeah, but you just might want to just check out. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, like, by, like, must have been the, the, the first bottle of wine, somehow every other word I was, was a curse word. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was like, I don't know, I, can I curse on your iPod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, because it was like, I mean, your iPod, your um, podcast. I was like... You know, it started, you know, well, yeah, I mean, if you consider the two, three, rumba clave, and the three, two, very, you know, and then, and then, like, suddenly, man, there was so, I just hit the fucking, I mean, I don't know where the, I got, and they, I got a closet full of fucking drum heads, and they hit me on the, my fucking head, and I'm thinking, why did I say, I mean, like, totally gratuitous. <laughs> You're like, I don't even talk like that. Exactly. Every, you know, he left it, you know, it was funny, but it's just like, but, uh, <laughs> I love the fact that he's like, nah, you, man, you might, you, you might <laughs> want to read it. <laughs> Cause I was thinking, what are you talking about? He said, no, 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 everything's cool. It was really fun. Good interview. But just check it out. You know, <laughs> right. And it was almost like suddenly there was just this like, you know, cut off black and white, bam. And then suddenly every other word was, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. Well, cool, man. Yeah, look, you know, hit me up when you know you uh, when you come when you're when you whatever. Give me a call. Absolutely, man. We'll we'll uh, we'll have some wine or or uh, yeah, yeah, coffee, wine, or I, lo- I love wine, man. So we can uh, and come over to this hit. In fact, send me. Um, well, no, I got your email. So yeah, yeah. 
In fact, we're going to do it uh, this this Saturday. Is going to be usually it's Bobby Franceschini plays uh, tenor, who's of course great. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, come down sometime too. Absolutely, man. Thank you, great man. Thank you again. I, like I said, man, I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it as well, man. It was it was a pleasure. Likewise, man. Dig really, it. Really, really great. Hi, man. Cool, man. I'll be in touch. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Hi, man. Thanks. Bye, bye. There you have it, the one and only Robbie Amin. Be sure to check out RobbieAmin.com and just shoot him a thanks and, and, and you know thank him for being part of the podcast because I definitely appreciate it, as I'm sure you do as well. While I'm in the mindset of saying thank you, I want to say thank you again to Boso Drumsticks for sponsoring the podcast. And like I said, I worked out a deal with them so that the listeners can get 20% off of Boso Drumsticks, the world's first line of bamboo drumsticks. I play them. I'm part of the Boso family, and uh, I'm glad that that they're part of Drummer's Resource. So head over to bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code PODCAST, and that'll save you 20% off your entire order. Check out drummersresource.com, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, on Twitter at drummersrsource, and on Instagram at drummersresource. I think I just said Instagram instead of Instagram, but I think you know what I mean. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm taking off. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.